Hello there, I'm Miranda Gretton and this is Take a Moment with NCHC, the show where we talk to you and your colleagues about experiences that affect you. Listen on your drive between patients or in your downtime, whenever you get the chance to take a moment. I'm Zoe Carroll, I'm an AHP clinical educator and I sit across the education team and the workforce team. My name's Lynn Fanning, I'm Head of Clinical Education and Research in NCHNC. I'm responsible for the clinical education team and we've got a wide variety of clinical educators delivering clinical skills training and looking after and supporting supervisors, assessors and practice educators. So I've got a really exciting role. So it's an it's a new one within the trust, and I'm here specifically to focus on support for AHPs, so allied health professionals. So because it's a new role, it's it's quite exciting that I've got the opportunity to kind of work out what areas need to be focused on, really. So I'm currently having a look at preceptorship and how we can make sure that that's aligned with the new principles that have come out from Health Education England about what that should look like for AHPs alongside um, the new information from nursing as well. So um, it's a very exciting time to be part of the team. We are here today specifically to talk about the importance of clinical education in healthcare. So I'm really interested to talk to you about this because I think a lot of people might not realise just how many opportunities there are. If you don't have a clinical background, for example, you might think there's a nurse and a doctor and that's about it. But actually, there's a huge range, isn't there, of courses and educational routes that you can go down. So, Lynn, do you want to describe to us some of the routes that people can take to get into healthcare? Yes, I mean, we've got lots of internal routes and external routes as well. So within internally within CHNC, we have a whole range of training. Um, lots of people be aware of the leadership and management training that LEAD put on, but also we do some clinical skills training uh, that will bring people into some of the arenas of clinical skills that we need to provide within the community. So that might be venipuncture, it might be verification of expected death, it might be learning how to catheterise a patient. We then have a whole range of postgraduate courses that we can access through our continuing professional development funding that is given to us by the HEE. We have a contract with HEE to provide a clinical learning environment and part of that contract is that they will give us in return some funding for us to um, enable our registered staff to um, professionally develop. So that might be a master's degree programme, that might be a conference that somebody wants to go to to find out the latest research that's going on within their area. Or it might be a very specialised course for someone like um, in our long term conditions departments or indeed our clinical specialist nurses and therapists. We also have a range of apprenticeships that the Talent for Care team career development look after. And so there will be training aligned to that. And that sometimes comes from um, the ICS as well. Uh, the integrated care system. We also have apprenticeships for managers and apprenticeships for admin staff as well that Talent for Care manage. And then, of course, we've got the more external type courses like uh, what we provided from the NHS Leadership Academy. So lots of our staff go on to some of that training. Some of it's free and some of it's funded. And then we have HEE commissions that we have. So we have, for example, four district nurse commissions every year where we take a nurse out of practice for a year they have backfill provided and they go to University of Suffolk and they get their district nurse specialist qualification and indeed we do that with children's nursing as well and with some of the pharmacy technician courses as well so there's a really wide range and I've probably missed some as well. I personally didn't know that there were so many clinical education opportunities and that's within the trust but do we obviously work we must I presume work quite closely with the UEA 
Yes, so we often commission courses. So most recently, when we were looking at the increase in physiotherapy pre-registration students at UEA, we looked at providing some supervision and education workshops around the two to one placement model. And so we commissioned UEA to provide us with, um, I think it was four or five sessions of that. So there is quite a lot of flexibility within what we can provide. And as long as we are informed about what people need, then we will do our very best to provide it for staff. That's interesting. So if if there was something that we noticed was maybe a gap in a clinician's skill set, but we didn't offer a course on it, would that be something you could go away and, and look to see whether we could? Yeah, absolutely. And we're currently doing that in conjunction with the NNN. So we're trying to work in collaboration because they have a number of very skilled practitioners in some areas that we perhaps don't have that skill. Um, and we're trying to do some reciprocal training. So our tissue viability nurses will give some compression banishing training to Norfolk and Norwich. And in return, they might well give us some training on some of the specialist children's techniques that are required within the children's services. That's amazing. And I guess that that must be really benefited by being part of the ICS. You mentioned there the integrated care system. So within the ICS, we're actually involved in some of the key projects that they have. So we've got a project on preceptorship for healthcare assistant uh, support workers uh, that we're looking at. And, and that will certainly um, progress to providing a framework preceptorship and indeed maybe some training as well and I know that our apprentices are well supported in terms of spoke uh, lectures and workshops from the ICS. A couple of words there that I as a layman didn't understand I wonder if you could give me a bit more information what is a preceptorship? So preceptorship is very much about supporting people we, we recognise that there's that gap between when you finish your studies and when you actually start in a workplace and it can be really quite daunting you've come from a very supported learning environment and it's that kind of big wide world out there and you don't quite perhaps know how you're going to be supported when you go into your first workplace it's not just about those clinical skills it's very much about how you manage to move into a into a workplace um, particularly for some of our younger individuals who've maybe come straight from a school environment into a uni environment, particularly with COVID, they might not have had much opportunity to even be in a workplace and learn those professional skills that a lot of us now take for granted. You know, things like talking to people on the phone can be quite daunting and, and we forget about that sometimes. So the idea of preceptorship really is that there's no one size fits all, but it's it's that kind of period of transition to being a, a newly qualified person or even perhaps someone who's come back into the profession so we do include people who are you know returning to to practice after a period of maybe you know having a bit of a career break it's that transition period into doing something a little bit different and how we support people we've got a preceptorship program in place and we're very much looking at how we can optimize that at the moment so preceptorships are typically six months to a year depending on the role but that support obviously is just hugely helpful to somebody coming into the trust, you know, learning the nuances of the organisation, coming out of that sort of education piece into the workplace. So that's obviously hugely important. Do you have any roles at the moment, for example, that are kind of new and interesting and different that people might not be aware of? Well, of course, we've got Zoe's role, which is very much focusing on perceptorship, but we're also bringing in a member of staff on a secondment to help us support specifically healthcare um, assistant support workers, because we recognise that um, many of them haven't been within a clinical healthcare environment ever. And so we already provide a two day foundation course for them. But what we're wanting to do is really think about onboarding them into the trust and really 
getting them familiar with the whole culture of a healthcare environment and actually welcoming them and making them feel like they're part of the trust from the word go really. And so this new post will focus very much on their induction, networking, signposting them, supporting them, buddying them and mentoring them really, not much really then. And so <laughs> But you can't underestimate that, Lynn, can you? The the culture of an organization really does come from its people. It comes from within. It's it's not something you can necessarily teach. You have to feel it. So to have somebody there holding their hand, working through that onboarding process is so valuable. I think it's crucial and we're really aware that these are our staff of the future. If we think about growing our own staff, encouraging them into some of our apprenticeship programmes or indeed encouraging them into some of our other vacancies, you know, and, and supporting them in their development. It's really, really important that we make them feel welcomed and also very important that we don't lose them. You know, some people will need to move on to um, allow them to develop and we hope they come back. But also we want to we want to retain um, our staff as well in what we all feel I think is a really outstanding trust. I've heard before that once people are in in a particular role they quite often then find roles they didn't realise were even a role you know something like community healthcare is so varied you know we have our inpatient units we have our community staff who go out to patients homes and so you can you might come in on an education program in one particular role but then once you're in you can see all the other available roles. And I think that is also so key to just get people in so they can see what's available. Zoe, what do you think about that? I mean, I think that was certainly the case for my role. I was smiling as you said it because I'm a speech and language therapist by background and I've been in the trust pretty much since I qualified. And, you know, much as I love the clinical work, I felt that it was possibly time to, to explore a different area. And I'd always been really interested in communication. So when this role came up, it was... It was like seeing my dream job that I didn't even know existed. And I think that's why it's it's so important to, you know, speak to people in different teams and and learn what's out there, because there might well be roles that you think, gosh, that is exactly the role. And that's exactly where my skill set lies, you know, possibly more than this role I'm doing. It doesn't mean I've got to lose those skills that I've gained in that area. It just means that I can apply them and, and learn different skills in a different area as well. So I, I absolutely agree. I think there's there's so many opportunities within an organisation that we don't necessarily think about, you know, both clinical and non-clinical. That's obviously a huge benefit to staff of of any kind of clinical education program where you you might come in and then you can see other opportunities. What other benefits are there to clinical education for staff, not just for staff on the programs themselves, but for staff who might be receiving someone into their team, you know, say, for example, a student placement or an apprenticeship? You know, what are the benefits on both sides? So I think there are a number of benefits to staff. I think the opportunity to be an inspiration to others can't be um, uh, over-exaggerated, really. So anybody who has been uh, on a clinical programme or indeed who's been have who's had a mentor or a buddy, they know who inspired them when they were doing their learning, who invested in them. And it's about could you be that next inspiration for somebody else, you know, and almost pay back that inspiration that you received and keep it going as well. I mean, it's a perfect opportunity to be a lifelong learner, which is what we're encouraged to be within the NHS and indeed in our lives, I guess, as well. We're always learning, aren't we? Um, so it's really about being open to the challenge that, you know, learners might bring. And it's a good challenge because um, they bring fresh ideas, they bring curiosity, they bring energy that they can feed into your own growth. And that's really important. If you're thinking 
and you are an AHP who's looking at the CPD education pillar, you know, for example, and indeed you're a nurse and you're looking at your revalidation as well. So all that evidence that you you have and knowledge and skills that you get from your students and your learners, you can take to your revalidation, you can build into your own growth and development. Um, I think that improves your job satisfaction because if you if you have had students, you'll know they're incredibly appreciative. They totally understand the pressures that staff are under. And so they give back as much as as, as they take from you as well. And you can watch them grow during the, the placement. They often will come back on an elective as well. And it can be really rewarding, even when you've got a student who's struggling. You know, I, I have a lot of people who cite that actually they're struggling students taught them the most. Yes, it is a challenge, but the clinical education team, Zoe and everybody else is there to help you with that. And so I think the, the satisfaction you can get from having um, a learner on placement or indeed in your team is worthwhile. Um, I think it can influence the development of your profession as well so it can have quite a, a big impact on how your profession develops because they bring new learning they bring research ideas uh, things that perhaps you haven't thought about as well it's always good to have an outside perspective and it's also really important to have a learning culture within teams and learners and students can help you develop that as well and also you can take the opportunity to be the leader you want to see as well. So if you're involved in any learner's experience, you will need to be skilled as a mentor, a coach, a listener, a facilitator and be inspirational as well. So I think um, the opportunities of having learners within your placement areas, be it students or apprenticeships, it can be hard, but I think there's a lot of positives. I'm quite interested to know how clinical education impacts or benefits the patient. So we've talked about how the benefits for staff, and obviously those are quite significant. What does the patient see in all this? And and also as a sort of sub question, does a patient ever get a bit funny that they're being seen by somebody who isn't necessarily in their eyes as qualified? Certainly that was a big anxiety of mine as a student that patients may feel that way. But actually, uh, certainly my experiences were that and my experiences as, as an educator as well have been that people are all too happy to be involved in supporting that process. So there's quite a lot of evidence to show that students will learn at a slightly slower rate than a, a practitioner maybe and have a little bit more time. And so patients do appreciate that as well. But that also means that there's a bit more um, opportunity for them to develop a more reciprocal relationship, perhaps patients actually feel valued by the, the by the students specifically and also you know from a student's point of view as well that patient has really a valuable perspective and that enriches that that student's clinical learning so that kind of two-way kind of give and take is really quite noticeable and that may indeed be what you feel um, you know when you feel that you're part of that process part of that learning. How much of the individual who's in the education program whether that is a student or an apprenticeship or or whatever how much of their success do you think is down to the relationship between them and their mentor or their clinical education representative I think if we all reflect on our on our days as a student I think that is probably the biggest thing that we remember from our entire learning process you know I don't remember the lectures I had so much but I do remember pretty much every single one of my practice educators and I mean you're absolutely right Miranda I think I remember the ones who were fantastic and I remember the ones that for whatever reason you know our relationship wasn't so positive and it's very interesting to reflect on that as a qualified practitioner I think it's 
really important I think for for us as practitioners to remember what it was like to be a student as well and and quite how exhausting it is learning and trying to take in all of this new information every day that that we take for granted. And for our apprentices, I think it's ex- extremely challenging because they're learning as they work as well. And they're juggling being in work and on their work placement and then get attending university and then uh, also coming back sometimes to their to their own trust, sometimes to a host, another host organisation for that learning as well. So it's ex- extremely full on and extremely pressurised. And I always say to them, keep your eye on the goal because it can get quite tough. And if you've got your eye on the goal. It will help you get through the more difficult times because learning is hard work. We're very much here to support educators as, as well as students. So we, we have a section on our intranet, which, which advertises when we have our drop-in sessions. So Throughout the year, we have various drop-ins for both students and educators, and we really welcome people to pop along. There'll always be someone from clinical education there. Obviously, we can be contacted any time, but that's quite a nice opportunity for multiple people to be able to come together because it's like any question, isn't it? You won't be the only one who's wanting to ask it. And that back and forth is really important as well. You know, it's not just the student or the apprentice or it learning at that point. It's they need to feed back to your team as well so that you can learn and shape how you are moving forward, I imagine. We're looking at a number of ways of getting feedback. Students have a very formalised system in uh, nursing students. This is for pair. And we're looking at how we can make that equitable with AHP students as well. They also have a big net survey, which is out there at the moment, that they're asked to uh, anonymously um, feedback. Uh, And then we get the results of that. And then we can kind of triangulate all of that feedback and the feedback from the university to look at actions about how we can improve our clinical learning areas, should that be needed. And also to congratulate those areas that are doing really well as well what would you say to anyone who might think oh I like I like the sound of what they do wouldn't mind getting involved in in that team so what I would say is make sure you become a practice educator uh, a supervisor and indeed an assessor uh, and gain a a large amount of experience within education that you can if you're looking for a clinical education post come and shadow the team come and find out and make sure it is actually what you want think about doing your pg dip think about volunteering for some teaching sessions within your place um, and talk to the clinical educators about what their role is. What about somebody who wants to expand their professional skills or even start from scratch in healthcare in terms of anybody wanting to become a student? What would you what would be your advice to them? So very excitingly, after a bit of a a break over COVID, the career development team are now looking at introducing work experience placements again, which is so exciting. So that would be open to anyone who's got an interest in coming to see what NHS careers look like. So that might be work experience in year 10, but certainly doesn't have to be. It can be people who are perhaps in a different career and think that they quite like the sound of a particular profession. I think that'll be a great opportunity to perhaps encourage people to maybe look into professions that they don't know too much about. A really good example of this, I always think, is is podiatry. So it's an area where the NHS is really keen to recruit more people. And I think a lot of us know on a surface level that it's to do with feet. (laughs) But actually, there is so many different aspects and different specialisms you can get into with it that, you know, we just wouldn't know about. So I think work experience is a fantastic opportunity to be able to come and spend a day or two days with particular teams or different areas just to get a bit of a flavour for what they do. And aligned to that, I know that Talent for Care Career Development are looking at bringing people in on something called T-levels, which means that people after they've done the GCSEs or during the GCSEs can actually come into the healthcare environment. 
So T Levels uh, is a government run initiative. Anybody can Google T Levels and they'll find out how they can be involved if they have any relatives or friends or family who want to be involved and want to see what it's like to shadow and gain some work experience in the healthcare environment to see whether that might be where their career needs to go. Thank you for listening to Take a Moment with NCHC. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please visit the podcast intranet page to leave a comment and for details of our other episodes. You can also follow NCHC on all social media channels.